Welcome to The Great Indoors, Episode 2, The Changing World. Thank you for joining our podcast where we get people's perspectives on the technological advancements that are occurring around us, driven in part by the um, the pandemic and, and also just because of the fact that we're at the beginning of the, the, the fourth industrial revolution. So I'm pleased to welcome you to Episode 2. You can follow us on Apple and Spotify and Google, and even uh, if you click on our pod follow link, you will be directed to your uh, platform of choice. So please subscribe to our podcast and also uh, ask your friends to subscribe. To complement the podcast series, we do have a webpage, amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors. And I urge you to visit that because we have lots of blogs videos, uh, some survey results. We're going to talk about those a little bit as well. Um, And just to entice you to uh, our webpage, we do have a special gift there, a special promotion, limited uh, limited edition. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but your children will like it. Uh, So I urge you to visit uh, our webpage for that. I'm really honored uh, and it's a pleasure to invite our guest uh, for um, uh, episode two which is Mr. Anthony Gunter Telecki, who's um, our group president uh, of Amdocs Technology. So, Anthony, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Where are you enjoying the great indoors today? Well, I am based out of the, uh, as they say out here, the great state of Texas, uh, based just north of Dallas. Um, and so, you know, I've lived around the world and uh, from Australia, but uh, based out of Dallas these days. Nice. And you're enjoying the great indoors? Yes, yes. Um, especially because, you know, my life is usually flying somewhere on a plane uh, 30,000 feet above the earth. Um, so it's actually quite nice to uh, uh, be home uh, for a few months. Uh, I know it's probably not the right thing to say, but uh, I'm okay to be grounded for a little while. No, I can imagine. Who are you enjoying the great indoors with? I always find that's a variable that will... Uh either increase or, or decrease your enjoyment at home? Yeah, so I'm here, I'm here with my family. I have my wife and uh, two daughters, one who's uh, just about to go off to college. So it's a very, very interesting time to graduate as a senior, um, go through this process almost, you know, the last half of it pretty much online with, with some kind of hybrid mixture and then go into this whole college life process through all of this. So, uh you know, uh, everything we do is a precedent, never been done before. Uh, it's been very interesting, especially from, you know, my line of work, looking at how things are, how people approach approach it and how things are done. Uh, and I have a uh, 14-year-old who uh, looks at the world very differently. So uh, between the two girls, uh, I keep myself quite busy. Excellent. Excellent. And, and, and for our listeners, um, just outline, uh, you know, outline your role at Amdocs and, and the role you play. Sure. So, so within, within Amdocs, uh, I look after all of uh, product, technology, uh, network, um, also responsible for the media unit uh, and a couple of other businesses like Open Market and uh, Project 202, uh, which is a digital experience company based out here in Dallas. Um, so I've kind of, you know, keep myself busy, got my hands at a few things um, around the company. Um, and, you know, it's always nice to get out of bed and always be excited to do something new. Excellent. Excellent. Well, listen, we really, really appreciate um, uh, you joining us today and, uh, and getting your viewpoints uh, on, on all of these issues. 
So just just for our listeners, we we concluded episode one with uh, the conclusion that technology had had a bit of a bad reputation the last couple of years as far as children were spending too much time on their screens. You know, our online friends weren't our real friends. There was a lot of negativity. And I think it's fair to say, even in this unfortunate crisis and situation we find ourselves in, technology has been somewhat of a savior in how we basically run our lives. Now, to put this to to more of a practice, we actually did a survey recently in the United States. Uh, We surveyed 1,000 adults uh, about a month in to, to the lockdown to find out you know, what was actually happening with them, their behavioral change. Um, and Anthony, I know you've written a blog um, about this that's also available on our on our webpage. But what was it you found particularly interesting um, about the results of that initial survey we, we did? Yeah, I, look, I think when I, when I look at it from a holistic, you know, that it's always easy to pull out a couple of pieces of data and say, hey, this is a really interesting statistics like I think there was one there where you know 32% of more people were trying online groceries for example Um, but I I would say the most interesting thing for me was I I feel like you know if Moore's law accelerated technology um, I think kind of COVID accelerated the change in human behavior towards technology at the speed of light Um, so you know if people were kind of worried about doing things online and, um, you know, their privacy and how they access things, whereas they still may have those concerns, um, I think, you know, we were brought to a stage where we just had no choice. We had to use these online services. You know, I was just talking to my mother, you know, she's in her 70s and, you know, she, uh, obviously she was staying inside the house because she didn't want to, you know, risk herself. Um, And, for the first time in her life, she was started to do online banking, uh, right? So instead of going into a bank physically and doing something, she moved to online banking. And and I feel like, you know, this kind of time period that we had um, didn't discriminate with age, right? So whereas maybe millennials before were just grabbing onto technology and they were Ubering and, you know, using DoorDash to order food and, you know, using Snapchat, I, I think you know, this kind of period brought everyone to go digital or accelerated that that pace, if you like. Now, that's a brilliant, that's a really, really, that's a brilliant point. And that was what I was going to ask you next. You, you used a personal example there. And I always like to get the personal examples. It's what makes it really interesting. And, and what has now changed forever, do you believe, as a result of this this leveler, bringing the entire population into the digital sphere? How how will that change or, or, or what will remain permanent as things go back to some sort of normality? I think many things. You know, I, I think of myself and, you know, I, I'm kind of, I would say, you know, obviously one of these outliers when it comes to technology, you know, my, my house is fully connected. I use almost every digital service. I have, you know, 20 different OTT content services. So I'm probably not the normal person, but even even people like me. So... I had to go to the doctors the other day and I could have, you know, put on my mask and made the appointment and gone 15 minutes early and done all these procedures. And instead I said, Hey, there's a telehealth option. Right. And so I went online, set a time and they call me back with a FaceTime type app. And, you know, we basically went through the whole consultation process and, you know, she ordered, 
what was needed down to a you know pharmacy next door to me. And I don't think I'll ever go back. Even people like me, I think there will be a lot of things that once you've gotten used to it, right, and once you've been exposed to it, it may have been for different reasons, but once you've done it, it's very hard to move back. I, I kind of, the analogy I, I would like to apply it to is, you know, if you've only had a black and white TV, you're fine with it. You have no problems. You can keep watching the black and white TV. But if I then replace that black and white TV with a color TV for a week, it will be very hard for you to go back to the black and white TV. And, and some of these digital experiences, I feel are exactly like that. When people experience the convenience of it, the ease of use of it, um, it's like, well, you know, do I really need to go to a bank, right? I mean, for most of most of the time, can I just, you know, consult my doctor over the, you know, a FaceTime app? Um, I think also the opposite is true. I think um, companies that are producing digital services start to look at it and say, okay, how do I take friction out of user experience, right? How do I make this seamless? How do I make this one click, one touch? So I, I think a lot of companies are thinking about the experience um, when their application, their service, whatever they deliver, interacts with a human. Um, and, and I think these two coming together will kind of create some type of magic as we go forward. And, and that's what I wanted to talk about next was going forward, because I think you know, me being in marketing, I spend a lot of time at events, a lot of time listening to people in the industry speculate um, and hypothesize and dream about the future, right? And I think one of those areas that we've talked about a lot and that's been talked about for the last couple of years is 5G, okay? Yeah. And obviously in the United States, the 5G networks are are, are rolling into place, uh, the the, the commercial offerings, although fixed wireless is, is the predominant commercial offering. But yet, we, we have still yet to see the 5G killer app. But again, like I said, people have speculated on, on, on what it could potentially be. With this new appreciation of technology and the fact, like you mentioned, this level set, bringing different market uh, segments into the digital world, how do you think that will manifest itself in those in that innovation and in those potential 5G use cases th that we've yet to see? So, you know, it's, a, it's, it's almost a continuum, right? So when you talk about 5G, um, it's really, you know, and I'll try not to get geeky here, but really you, you split it into two parts. You have this thing called standalone 5G and non-standalone 5G. So basically at the end of the day, what it means is you have this, progression or transformation from 4G to 5G. So as they upgrade their radio base stations, you know, that's kind of almost the first phase. Then there's a second phase of upgrading their core network. So what we're starting to see is those initial phases, uh, but we're, you know, still at the very early stages of the major bulk of the core network being upgraded to 5G. And, and these are the things that are going to give you those, you know, unreal kind of use cases. You know, I, I don't know if there's going to be a killer use case, but I think it's going to be a long tail of use cases. So 5G brings to you many variables to the table that we didn't have. Obviously, the one big one is speed. And, you know, this is the this is the one everyone talks about. But obviously, there's others such as latency. There, there's some amazing security features that comes with 5G that we didn't have with 4G. Um, there is There is the ability to couple technology. So if you start to couple... IoT, with 5G, with edge computing, with cloud computing, you know, you can start to really create a value ecosystem here, right? So 
Oh, a simple example here of, um, you know, if I was to go out now and buy a VR headset, I'd have to buy the VR headset. I'd have to buy a $1,500 computer because I need that edge computing right next to me to power it. And then I'd have to get an internet connection to get it up and running. But, you know, a time in the future, you you know, you would just buy this headset, maybe subscribe to it, right? Pay $29.99. It will come with an eSIM card with a 5G fully connected using edge computing to do the, you know, the computing power. And off you go. So suddenly my, you know, initial investment that would, you know, get me close to $2,500 to buy a top-end VR headset would basically cost me a, you know, subscription fee of $30, $40 a month to subscribe and get all of those. So I think it kind of democratizes technology uh, and will continue to do that. If you add to that the fact that we we have gotten so dependent now on connectivity, especially during this time. You know, that last mile to the home has become so much more important. And and I feel like even as we start to go out of this phase, um, we just expect that same connectivity wherever we are. You know, um, I don't expect that if I go out of my house that I'm going to drop connectivity or I'm going to go to a tenth of the speed I get in my house. Right. So so I think all of these features and functionality and how you connect and being able to connect ubiquitously across the globe, I, I think these are the things that are starting to come together. And I think that, you know, you will see these companies that succeed will be the companies that are able to stitch these technologies together. Um, and really, so, so those are the ones that are going to succeed and be kind of like the next unicorn type of companies because they've managed to stitch stuff together. I mean... Uh, another example, I know it's really overused, but if you think of Uber, right? So Uber brought together the mobile phone, location awareness, uh, mapping capabilities, GPS capabilities, uh, online uh, payments and capabilities with a credit card, right? I just stitched all of this stuff together and came up with a new business model. So, So I feel like, these technologies will just create, allow, you know, the next generation to dream up of these amazing business models that maybe we haven't dreamt about today, but it will be a result of just stitching these things together. And I think, and, and, and I think that's, that's absolutely right. This, this cataclysm, this fusion of all these uh, uh, technologies. But I think as well, one, one thing that's, that I, I thought was interesting, and I'll put this to you just, just to get your thoughts um, a year ago, no, it wasn't a year ago. It was back in uh, September. I was at Chet and Sharma's Mobile Future Forward event in Seattle, where again we a lot of the talking points uh, uh, in this event was five uh, G, uh, and and people again speculating on use cases, and um, and Chetan was was on our previous broadcast as well. But mm-hmm. I remember at the event what they what they did, what he demonstrated. Uh, was doing, and he said, we're doing this over a, a live 5G network now using various partners. He did remote surgery, right? Yep. So they had somebody, we were in Seattle, they mocked up somebody somewhere else in the United States. And yep. because of the lower latency, the high-speed connectivity, he was able to demonstrate doing a very simple medical procedure on a patient a thousand miles away, yep. which was which was really interesting. And like you said, it draws on all sorts of different technologies. And you mentioned earlier that one of the things that, that you've 
done now and you, you won't go back to is um, uh, telemedicine, right? You, you spoke to your doctor over like a, a Zoom call and then you got a prescription. Would you, if everything was, was tested out, would you be happy? Do, do you think people's behaviors have to change in order to adapt something as radical as remote surgery? If you think about the acceleration, or if you think about what's happening now, I think it's really an acceleration in a change management process. So what took us may what would usually take us maybe three to five years in terms of adaptation and getting used to certain technological uh, elements in our life, you know, we've kind of been forced into the situation where we had no choice, right? Um, I had to order groceries online because, you know, um, that was the only way we could do it. You know, in Australia, um, there was a supermarket called Coles, which basically shut down e-commerce delivery for everyone except for elderly citizens for a while. So you, you had to have a you know, a senior citizen's number in order to order groceries from them because they were trying to give them first priority. But you think about the types of people that would use it, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily think that it would be that demographic, right? But, but they were forced to do it for obvious reasons. So I think this change management process that we've been go- going through accelerated a lot of things. So when it comes to things like surgery, here's what, here's what I think about it. I've seen that use case. I saw it demonstrated at Mobile World Congress as well. Um, you know, that's one of the that's one of these kind of use cases that everyone uses. But but I see something very special in that use case. And what I see very special is there could potentially be a day when there is a little boy or a little girl somewhere in the middle of Africa being operated by a world-renowned doctor sitting in New York, right? And in a normal occurrence, they would never have access to that type of medicine. So would I get myself remotely operated? Eh, maybe I'll think about it twice, right? But people that never had this opportunity, um, you know, I, I think it'll be a game changer. No, that's a really, um, uh, that's an amazing, amazing point. I, yeah, uh, from, from that perspective. I think as well, you mentioned something before that people now, and, and I think this was borne out in our survey results, have a greater appreciation uh, for their network and connectivity, or they expect it, yep. right, as a result of this. Yep. It's fair to say that our, our broadband connections are essential, right, up there with our utilities and, and, and so forth. So how do you think this will manifest itself with our, you know, with our customer base moving forward now, this appreciation or this demand, this expectation for um, high-quality, high-speed connectivity? Look, it, it's been it's been a um, you know for for a technologist it's been an interesting to kind of sit back and observe this because I think you know I know there's a meme floating around a little while ago where you know people will show Maslow's pyramid and you'd have Wi-Fi at the top, but it's literally become like that, right? It's literally become uh, shelter, food, connectivity. <laughs> you know that's kind of that's kind of the order of things that it's been. And, and broadband has really become the anchor of the house. Um, you know, I was speaking to, um, you know, Ernest, the CEO of Globe in the Philippines, and, you know, he was sharing this morning about, uh, you know, how they had uh, increases, for example, in uh, purchases of broadband LTE packets, right? Um, little pucks that you connect to your PCs and things like that. 
when we had our employees, uh, one of the first thing, you know, Shuki, our CEO did was put the employee safety first. And as part of that, he said, you know, across the globe, wherever you can work from home, let's try and accelerate that. And there were some countries that people didn't have broadband in their house. And we were buying them LTE pucks that would connect to their laptops and, and you know, sending their full kit home. So I think there, there has come a time where broadband to your house has become an essential service. You know, it's gone from a nice to have to kind of this mandatory thing. You know, you wouldn't necessarily expect that, you know, you live without electricity. Um, in the same way, I think broadband has just become this critical anchor of the house. And, and this is where 5G ties into it as well, because I think it's not about broadband. It's about being connected. Right. And, and the expectation is that you will be connected wherever you are, wherever you're going, anywhere in the world without any exception. You know, one of, one of, the, one of the stories I use is my uh, daughter, I think she was about six at, um, at the time when we were traveling somewhere. We landed in an airport. She opened up her MacBook and she just slammed the lid shut. She turned around to me and she said, you know, laptop's broken. And we just gotten that lap laptop not long ago. And I, I was like, really? So I opened it up. I looked at it. It was fine. There was nothing wrong with it. And I said, there's nothing wrong with it. It works. Well, why are you saying it's broken? And she said, well, there's no internet access. So if you think of the, the next generation, right, they expect every single thing to be connected, whether it's your car, whether it's your house, right, wherever you go, it's not a question of is there connectivity? Um, it, it's it's a life it's a lifeline. I mean, um, one of the first questions my kids ask me when we uh, book a vacation spot is, uh, you know, how's the Wi-Fi or how's the connectivity? And you know, um, luckily we haven't been to a place, but I'm sure you know they'll probably uh, protest uh, very strongly if there's no connectivity. So I think I think there is a change, and I think there is an opportunity, uh, but also I think there is a large responsibility for us globally to ensure that everyone is connected, that everyone has access. Um, believe it or not, there are still large swaths in the U.S. There's rural America that really does not have broadband. And uh, I know the government's been, you know, allocating money uh, to try and roll out broadband to these regions. Uh, but I think this is something you will see accelerate in the near future. And I think just, I thought it was amazing in the results from the survey as well. Uh, and it was something that surprised me was... Um, we saw that 24% of the people we surveyed said they would now buy devices that improve their home Wi-Fi, yeah. right? Which yeah. to me was was like, wow, normally they'd say, well, I want the latest device um, or I'm going to download this content. But now they were mindful uh, of the actual products that give them a better quality of service on their Wi-Fi, which I think was was incredible. That also just shows, that just shows an appreciation for what it brings, right? So it's one thing if you're watching cat videos and your video is buffering. It's another thing if, you know, um, my kids are doing a exam online or I'm talking to you and we lose connectivity, right? It's, it's a completely different level of expectation from the service. Yeah. So let's just switch gears a, a little bit. I didn't put this question uh, in when we when we originally spoke about this, but I, I saw the um, Television Nation fireside chat you did at the weekend. 
And I think you raised a really good uh, a really good point here, and and something that we can discuss. But the effect on media, right? The yeah. effect on media that literally over the last few months. So give us your perspective on on that seismic change in the media space. Yeah, this look. There's definitely going to be some uh, tremors, or, or there are some tremors being caused in the media industry, and and we don't know how everything's going to sort itself out. But if you think about it. You know, the media world kind of worked in, in a notion of windows, right? So you had these theatrical windows where a movie would be created. It would come out to a theatre. Uh, then it would go to, you know, a, a kind of a pay-per-view, you know, on-demand kind of cycle before, you know, it got released to kind of, uh, you know, another service. But you're seeing all of this shifted, right? So you saw... Um, the movie Trolls, you know, it went straight to on demand, right? And I think mm-hmm. we got 20 bucks and, you know, yes, we purchased it. We also purchased Scooby-Doo and we paid the 20 bucks. Yeah. And now suddenly if you're a studio, you ask yourself a couple of questions. So if I'm releasing a movie and I'm making, I don't know, let's say $100 million of this movie and out of that $100 million, I need to give, I don't know, $30, $40 million to my partners for distributing this to a theater, whereas I can go D2C and deliver this and or, or charge a consumer directly and make the same or more money, I start to question my distribution strategy, right? So not to say that cinemas will disappear. I think really it's become a, um, it's a social piece as much as anything else in, our, in our, the fabric of our society, right? You go out to the movies to go out to the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get popcorn, to you know, have a different experience. So I think that will still be there. But I think you will find a lot of different hybrid kind of studios releasing things at different paces to different services. Um, you know, um, there's a service called Red Carpet where you know you can kind of get movies coming to your house the day they're released in the theater. So I think there'll be a lot more experimentation here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was a massive you know Netflix blockbuster movie. I think it was called Extraction. Uh, I think it was a huge hit on Netflix. Um, that shows that there is a power there. So the question now is how do you monetize this, right? Yeah. There was a small inclining of this. If you look at kind of the Manny Pack fight a little while ago, you know, people were saying paying 100 bucks, 200 bucks for a pay-per-view event. And this was really interesting. So if you're willing to pay $100 or $200 to sit in your lounge and get a certain experience, maybe there's a different way to monetize things. So this is where I think, you know, we're starting to see tremors and you're starting to see all sorts of, you know, um, I would say the first round of shots fired between studios and theaters and things like that. And I think this will cause a, a very different behavior, maybe a hybrid behavior, if you like, in terms of how we consume content. I must admit that we tuned in for the world premiere of the, the Trolls movie as well. And it was actually a really nice experience, just all sat together. Because typically I fall asleep in the movie theatre, particularly at kids' films, literally within three minutes. I actually managed to stay awake the duration of the film, and I actually thought it was pretty cool. So uh, it's good for me, you know, so that's that's really, uh, really interesting. So something else we'll talk about now is working from home, right? Yeah. And we've all adjusted to this r- remarkably well. And many tech behemoths have already stated publicly that this will now be forever, right? People will be working from home perpetually. And it got me thinking that this is the biggest workforce or social cultural change in working conditions 
probably since the Industrial Revolution of the 18th century, where people went from their homes to the factories. They're now going from their offices back to their homes. And it, and it is, it, 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 you know, again, we, we saw this in the survey, the amount of people that working from home was new for them and how quickly they've adopted. But what demands will this place on networks, on our service providers, uh, on, on just corporate culture? What, what do you believe are the positives and, and negatives of this particular change? I think... At some stage, we're going to come back to some level of equilibrium, right? You're, you're not going to, you know, the whole world is not now going to wake up and say, well, we're not going to have workplaces anymore. Everyone's just going to work from home. Um, and we're also not going to go the other way and say, well, everyone's now going to come back to the office. No one's going to work from home. So, you know, different societies, different countries will settle into some level of equilibrium. But it's interesting, you know, the, during this time, we've kind of... Uh, added all of these interesting words to uh, kind of a nomenclature, right? Like if you think of, um, you know, if I tell you, you know, Google it, you know what I'm talking about, right? If I tell you now, um, let's jump on a Zoom, you do know what I'm talking about. You know, six months ago, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. You know, if I tell you, hey, uh, make sure you social distance, you know what I'm talking about. So we added all of these different words. And I think what, what it comes down to it is, Technology enables you to do things differently and we've experienced it and for the best part of it, you know, successfully, most companies have been able to navigate this working from home. What will start to happen, at least I believe, is um, we will really have a fit to need, right? So it's not by default. I mean, you're going to get some companies that believe um, the best place to be is in the workplace for collaboration, for communication, for the water cooler conversation that's hard to get. You'll believe other companies that, you know, would maybe for cost pressure or maybe for um, providing flexibility. You know, we, we you know, um, I was talking to one of our um, general managers and he was telling me that there was a really productive guy and, you know, his work hours was, you know, 2 a.m. to uh, 6 a.m. And, you know, he did amazing work, right? Now, if he can do that and he can do it at that time, why not let him do it at that time? So, so I, don't, I don't necessarily think there's going to be one rule that's going to be applied to every vertical, to every company, to every country. But I think what we've done is we've enlightened everyone to the possibilities of what technology can enable from where you work, right? Whether it's your home, whether it's your car, whether it's your office. But one thing's for sure, the seamless experience across them, it's mandatory, right? So I can I should be able to start something at work, finish it at home. I should be able to stay at home and finish it for half the day, go back into work. This kind of experience of going backwards and forwards is required. So this brings up all sorts of interesting things. So, you know, connectivity is the easy one, but also security, confidentiality. Um, you know, I, I kind of, you know... Right now, I have Zoom fatigue, right? I mean, we're just jumping on this Zoom, you know. Um, yeah. So, so how, do you, how do you bridge these gaps? So I think, um, you know, it's a long answer, but I, I believe we will end up in some level of equilibrium, um, not on either extreme, and it'll just depend on, you know, where you work and who you work for. And I think, the, you know, the old adage, work is not a place, will never be truer. Right. Like you said, that seamless ability to start something here, continue something here will just be natural and just will, will be prevalent. Yeah, well, I always I always say um, 
you know, you, you, you always need to find something you love, right? And then you change the definition of work. So uh, I, I don't, sometimes I don't know where, you know, one, starts one stops and the other starts. But uh, I think everyone's also asking themselves these questions, right? Yeah, yeah. And how pleased are you that academic institutions are not yet implementing such a stay-at-home policy forever? <laughs> well, uh, speaking as a father that's just going through it, um, I think, look, I, I think the college experience, at least in the U.S., is very unique. Um, and really, it's something that can't be replaced. But even in the U.S., you know, you get some colleges that are not starting in the fall, right, that are, are waiting till later. Uh, my daughter, who's going to the University of Texas in Austin, you know, they're starting in August, but come Thanksgiving, they're coming back home and they're not returning back till the following year uh, because, you know, they don't want people going back to all of their different locations and countries and then coming back. So, so every university is kind of implementing their own, own thing and own plan. But I think, you know, the one thing I would say is the human spirit is very resilient. Uh, we always find a way. Uh, we always have hope. You know, I know this is a tough time for many people, especially in the U.S. with everything going on. Um, and, you know, I, I believe in humanity. I believe, you know, we are better than we are worse. Uh, I believe that, you know, people uh, want the best for everyone. You know, uh, maybe I'm being a little bit naive here, but, you know, people don't go out, um, you know, and, and want to be isolated or, or, you know, not want to have contact with other people and things like that. And we'll find a way through this. and. You know, hopefully technology will be a companion um, to whatever we want to do and help us kind of accelerate, you know, the vision of whatever we have for our own lives. Awesome. So I, I think they were inspirational, you know, comments that, that you just made uh, there, Anthony. But just to close, just, just to finish things off, when we look back at, on, at this change in our lives, this is something I tell my children. I always remember my grandparents telling me about you know, their experiences in, in World War Two in, in England and, you know, what with your grandchildren, you know, in I don't know how many years from now, when they say to you, Grandfather Anthony, tell me about what you had to go through in the pandemic of 2020, what would you say to them? I survived, you know, we're going we're gonna to be able to wear the Survivor T-shirt and... Uh... Be, be proud of it, you know. But I, I think it's the ingenuity, you know, that that just there is so many different ways that people kind of come together and find these ingenious ways to do things, to find solutions to problems, whether it be using technology or um, just thinking out of the box. And I and I really think those are the stories that are going to resonate, you know. Um, where we would say, hey, remember the time that we did X, Y, Z, you know, and people were like, really, you did that, you know? Mm. Um, those, I think those are the stories that are going to last and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we'll all come out, a, um, you know, a little bit stronger. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, listen, I want to say thank you um, again, Anthony, for joining um, The Great Indoors. It's been great having you here today. And look, just to remind everyone, please subscribe to our uh, podcast uh, through your relative uh, podcast channels. Please visit our website, amdocs.com forward slash the great indoors. We will have on the website the survey results that we discussed uh, today, the blog from Anthony, where he lends some more insight into those results. And we're also going to put up there the Television Nation 
uh, fireside chat you did, Anthony, because I think that was great and complements a lot about what uh, uh, what you spoke of today. So look, thank you very much. Stay tuned for episode three and um, have a great week, everybody. <laughs>